So, you know, you have this term sheet and what the term sheet is non-binding. Either party can walk away. The most important part of it is you're agreed on some basics for the transaction and there's what's called a no shop or exclusivity period. And usually lawyers write that. And that says that the seller can't talk to anybody else. So you can do a lot of work, spend a lot of time, spend a lot of money figuring out how this is going to happen. And um, so instead of talking to any lawyers, I just said, I'm going to write this myself right from the heart. So I wrote, I basically said, Greg, please don't shop this deal or try to negotiate it um, in any way. I'm not commodity money. I'm a passionate mother who wants to spend the rest of his life building on your legacy. It was my first version of this notion of being the world's leading platform for health, happiness, and performance. Hello, and welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Dr. Julie Fouché, family physician and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring you information and inspiration to help bridge the gap between fitness and medicine and support your journey toward your healthiest self. Thank you so much for joining me. Now let's get started with this week's episode. In this episode, I share a conversation with Eric Rosa, brand new owner and CEO of CrossFit Inc. So for those of you listening who might not have been following along, we as a CrossFit community have been through quite a lot over the past two months. In early June, some inappropriate comments that were made by CrossFit's founder and then owner, Greg Glassman, led to an uprising of the community, Greg's resignation as CEO, and ultimately revealed some larger problems with the organization. Now, this was an incredibly stressful and difficult time for so many of us who love CrossFit and whose lives have been changed by CrossFit, but we were really feeling a cognitive dissonance between our own experiences and what was being modeled by the leadership in the organization. Now, a few weeks later, we were all introduced to Eric Rosa as the company's incoming owner and CEO, and now that the deal has been finalized, he has officially assumed those roles. As we get into in this episode, I have been very impressed by the way Eric has already started to lead the organization and the community, and just last week, he did his first quarterly CrossFit community town hall, where he shed some light on much of what he's been working on and his vision for the future direction of CrossFit. Now, we tried not to restate too much of what was discussed there in this conversation, so if you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend going back to check it out. A little bit of background information and bio on Eric before we get started. He did his undergraduate degree at the University of Michigan in economics, go blue. He got his MBA from the Stanford University Graduate School of Business. And early in his career, he worked in consulting at Bain & Company and then founded DataLogics, a digital advertising data company in 2007. Now that company would go on to be named a top 100 company to work for by both Fortune and outside magazines. And it was acquired by Oracle in 2015 for $1.2 billion. And from then, Eric worked as senior vice president and general manager for Oracle Data Cloud until July of last year. And during that time, he also was a co-founder and owner of CrossFit Sanitas in Boulder, Colorado. More recently, he has been an executive in residence at the venture capital firm General Catalyst, a chairman of True Coach, an adjunct professor of entrepreneur leadership at the University of Colorado, as well as a board member on a variety of companies, including Sondermind, Teach United, and Endeavor Colorado. 
So it's clear that Eric brings a wealth of experience and passion for leading CrossFit into this next chapter, and I'm sure you'll see that come through in our conversation. In this episode, we discuss more of Eric's personal background and some of the behind-the-scenes stories of the transaction with Greg and learning about the organization and its stakeholders over the past few months, as well as his vision for the future of CrossFit. Now, before we dive into the episode, we do want to make it clear that this podcast is for general information only and does not provide medical advice. We recommend that you seek assistance from your personal physician for any health conditions or concerns. So let's get started with the episode. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I am really excited to be here with CrossFit's new owner and CEO, Eric Rosa. So thank you for taking the time. I know you are a very busy man these days. <laughs> Great to be here, Joy. Um, so I know that myself, along with many others, when we first heard your name and heard that you would be purchasing CrossFit and becoming the new CEO, we were very relieved and we were very excited. And I think over the past couple of months, as everything has become finalized and we've seen you start to get to work, we're only more enthusiastic about where CrossFit is going in the future. Um, I think, you know, and yesterday we watched the town hall where you talked about a lot of exciting things you've been working on. Um, and everything to me has been very, very encouraging. So I just want to, you know, say thank you and welcome. I think the CrossFit community is so excited to see you in this role. It's been, uh, it's been amazing because I'd say half of it is completely surreal because this feels like a life dream and a culmination of everything I've ever wanted and how could this possibly be happening? But on the flip side, it, it feels kind of natural too. You know, it feels like it's almost like a coming home. And when you say things like that, it, the community has been incredibly welcoming and supportive. And that's not typically the case, right? When one comes into a, a you know, kind of a, a founder situation. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's pretty jarring. It's a lot of change for everybody, including for me and my family and so on. But it, there's a part of it that does feel like a natural evolution of what's, I don't usually speak in these terms, but of what's supposed to happen. Yes, absolutely. And I want to get into that in more detail too. But first, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about your background. So I think, you know, when everyone first heard your name, I think you were probably the most Googled name among all CrossFitters for a little while because people were trying to figure out who you were and what your history was. And we all know sort of your business background and your bio, but can you talk a little bit about your fitness background? So has fitness always been a part of your life? How has it evolved? And then how did you actually find CrossFit 10 years ago? You know, I think it always has been a part of my life. There, there are kind of, if I think back, there have kind of been two lifelong passions. Um, one was working out with friends and the other one is playing music. I'm a musician too. And so these are things that were literally, I was just kind of born to, you know, I didn't try to do them because someone else was doing them. It just, you know, other people have other things, but for me, it was always music and working out. And so yeah, I can certainly think back to eighth grade um, for sure. And I'm, I'm sure there are times earlier than that where, you know, my best friendships were with these two guys and we used to work out together. We would make up our own, effectively our own CrossFit workouts. There's this crazy device, which you can still Google. And I wrote about it when I did my um, affiliation, you know, when you have to write your essay uh -huh. called the bull worker. It was this infomercial device. And, um, you know, it was this like metal thing that you could push from the ends and you could pull these straps on it. It was totally ridiculous. And we saw it on an infomercial and we bought it. And so we would, 
you would do these things with the bull worker where you'd, you'd kind of push it into here and blow up, you know, blow up your biceps and triceps and stuff. And then you would, uh, we would run down the hall and up the steps and jump up and touch the ceiling. And so we were literally making up our own wads at 13. Um, so I have a very, very clear memory of that. Wow. And did you play any formal sports then or was it you just really loved working out? You know, I played sports, but I, I was always more into working out than the sports. And I think I was better at it. You know, we, we had like this, um, the, did you do like the presidential physical fitness yeah. test? So we had that and I was always really good at that. But I, at, at sports, I wanted to be really good at them. And I think I was, you know, kind of just okay at most of them. I, I think there was sports like skiing that are still with me and mountain biking and stuff that I really and running that I became really passionate about. And I, and I worked those in, but a lot of the team sports I played, whether it was soccer or football, messing around with stuff like that, it just never really clicked for me as um, I don't know. It just didn't click in the same way. Yeah. I'm sort of similar in that the, the ball sports never really clicked with me. I didn't have the coordination. I do like, you know what I got really in, in college, I got really into racquetball. That was the main thing oh, I did. So I would play, and you, you and I both went to U of M. So I was at yes. U of M, you know, which had. I've got been to racquetball courts. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was at, uh, what was the, what was the, uh, I can't remember what the, um, the, gym. You know, the rec center was. CRB. Yeah, that was it. The CRB. There was another one that was more near the athletic campus, which I cannot remember what it was called now. Yeah, so I think it was CCRB. And so we'd go, yeah, we'd play, I'd probably play two or three times a week. Um, and so I actually still really love racquetball. I like squash. Um, I like tennis, but I don't play enough to have any facility in that. Um, but I don't play those sports much anymore, but I, I love them. You know, so I would say that was another thing I really like to do athletically. Very cool. And then how did you actually find CrossFit? Do you remember your first experience or your first CrossFit workout? Oh, man. Yeah, like it was yesterday. <laughs> I moved to Boulder about 13 years ago um, with uh, Melissa, my now ex-wife and still a friend and co-owner of CrossFit Sanitas with. Um, and I, at the time I had one kid. Now I have four. Wow. And um, and it was, I was so excited to be just immersed in this culture of fitness and you know, eating well and sunshine and mountains was just awesome. And I actually moved here from Middle Tennessee, where you are. I was in Franklin, which is <laughs> fun, a small, funny coincidence. And I had loved Franklin too, but Boulder really felt, yeah, felt like home for me. I just uh, it was everything I was looking for. And um, I started running a ton. That that book, Born to Run, had come out, and everyone was obsessed. And I was wearing those silly Vibram five finger shoes for two oh, or three yeah. years. <laughs> I was wearing those when I started crossfitting, actually. No, everyone did back in the day. <laughs> yeah, and I would. I started at. Uh, I started at um, MBS. So I was running. I got injured. I was running a lot. I was trying to gear up to running um, ultras, but I never got to an ultra. But I was trying to get there. Um, I did, you know, the last uh, running race that I did, the last formal one was actually the, uh, the uh, Music City Half Marathon in Nashville. Oh, fun. Actually, we're trying, I'm trying to run that. Um, it got postponed because of COVID and I don't know if they're going to reopen registration, but Danny and I are training for it. Like we're going to run it. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So I was, are you do the full? No, just the half. Half, yeah. I, have to train I was, I registered for the full and then I got injured. And I was, I was, yeah, I had an online coach and I was, so I was trying to, I had a time goal and all that. And, um, and I got it, just this chronic injury and I couldn't run at all. And I had nothing else in my bag of tricks. Over time, I had been really into, um, uh, I'd lifted a lot in, in, uh, in high school, but you know, curls and bench and that kind of military, like that was, you know, I didn't know what a squat or deadlift even was, frankly. But, um, and then, um, 
And then when I, uh, I got injured, I didn't have anything left to do. I had this race looming. So finally, I found a PT who helped me fix my injury. And I, I made it through the Music City half marathon. I decided not to do the marathon and kind of hung, hung up you know, hung up the long distance running as a rule, although I like to throw in little intermittent things like that for fun. And then a colleague of mine had tried CrossFit and he went to uh, MBS, which is Pat Burke's gym, kind of, you know, games OG. I think he went, Pat went to the first five games, I think. And I was immediately hooked. And I remember my first wad and um, within a month or two of going, there were probably three or four of us from work that started to go. I started, I was running a technology company at the time. I had, I started to have Pat come into our gym and we'd have people, you know, doing box jumps onto file cabinets and all that kind of stuff. We had this open space and it was like, it was literally, you know, it was people within two weeks, it was improving our whole culture at work and people were happier and you know, this one guy quit smoking and it was just the coolest thing, you know, you know how that works. Yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, you talk a lot about the, the, health benefits of CrossFit, physical, but also mental and spiritual. And I've heard you talk about that a few times, really advocating for those mental health benefits too. Can you share any, any more about like for you personally, how you CrossFit impacting your mental health? Yeah. I mean, my, my biggest thing is, um, I, I feel like everybody has some, almost everybody has some low grade version, some spectrum level of depression and anxiety, right? And, you know, I probably met run more towards the depression than the anxiety. So I've had, I've had acute episodes of depression much of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I've tried various, you know, various uh, you know, things to, to work with that. And I just, there's some things that work better than others. And I realized early on that exercise was an absolutely must as kind of part of the toolkit. Oh, and yeah. um, so I would say, I think, just baseline being happier, like having, first of all, having one, a time every day. I love that, that term when people call it the best hour of the day or the best part of the day, having a thing every day that I knew it didn't matter what else was going on in life, you know, whether having troubles with the marriage or work is stressful or, or, you know, having an issue with one of my, I, one of my kids has special needs. So having issues with that, and I knew I could go to the gym and get my butt kicked and just, you know, have the endorphins come out and hang out with friends who didn't really care about that other stuff. But then it, then it carried over as well. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah, I just found that to be an indispensable part of my toolkit and that I was just a happier person with, uh, with CrossFit. Oh yeah. And I think, you know, I think we've all experienced it. So it's great to hear you shed light on that. But I know for myself, if I go, there have been times during residency where I went two weeks without working out and I was, definitely depressed and and immediately you go back in the gym you are around a good community of people you sweat and it's like night and day what it can do so it's, it's- amazing you know i um i thought about that i've thought a lot about this you know putting happiness into our mission formally right right in the middle of it and it's that's different than anything that greg or you know people have typically said formally but informally you just see it everywhere right that's such a common thread and i thought about i'm a i'm a I'm definitely a big experimenter and, you know, black box, end of one, whatever you want to call it. Like I'll try all these, I'll try all these things. And um, I have to say that, um, you know, I, I have to say working out in general, but CrossFit in particular has been more important to me than, you know, I meditate not every day, but I meditate a bunch. I, I love to journal. That works really well for me. You know, a lot of other techniques and, you know, whether it be be with friends. And I think I come back to my two inherent passions, like the two things that work the best for me are, work, are working out, doing, you know, training in some way and, uh, 
and playing music. Like those are the ones that kind of get me out of my head into my body and into a, in a place that's kind of safe and protected kind of from all the craziness that's going on in my world. I love that. And it, is it guitar that you play or do you? I play guitar and sing and write songs and stuff. That's- yeah. We, I can't wait to hear some of that. And maybe we'll get a duet with Dan Bailey one of these days. That would be- Oh, I haven't met Dan yet. I didn't <laughs> know he was, he played. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I still actually perform and play with other people. Like it's, that's been a constant again in my whole life. I, I tell people I've probably done, I can't, I, I would say I've probably roughly done 2000 hours of CrossFit. Maybe it's 3000, but it's in that range. But I've played about 20,000 hours of guitar to give you a sense. <laughs> the ratio is really strong <laughs> in the direction of playing music. Yeah. But it's easier to, you know, it's easier to play guitar for five or six hours than to do CrossFit for five or six hours. That's true. That's true. So you found CrossFit, you're loving it, you're bringing it to your, co- you know, it's changing your company. But you also had this idea like 10 years ago that you thought, wow, it'd be really great to lead CrossFit one day. Can you talk about where that idea came from? Kind of what happened 10 years ago, and then we'll, we'll talk about what happened recently. Yeah, and I think I looked it up, and I'm not sure exactly when it was, but I, I think it was probably about eight years ago, eight and a half years. It was, bef- it was before we opened our gym, for sure, because the gym was like a second prize. I, I mean, kind of like, well, I can't buy all of CrossFit, so I guess I'll just open a gym. <laughs> you know, I'll just I'll affiliate. Um, so I got more and more into it. I brought it to my I, you know, we, we started bringing it into the office. We, um, we, we actually set up a box at work and we formally affiliated, which was cool. Um, and, um, and I just saw it was, you know, I became obsessed with it just like everybody else does it. Um, and I thought about this, I'm like, why, like, I'm so much more into this than, you know, kind of the output of my job at work. There was so much I loved about my job. So I love the culture I love the intellectual challenge. I love playing a game and winning it that was highly competitive, you know, working with companies like Google and Facebook and so on. So it was a, you really had to be on your game. And I loved our culture, but I kept drawing, like like my heart was drawing me to CrossFit. It really was. And so I was like, wouldn't it be cool if this was, if there wasn't like, if I wasn't adding this into something else, this was the something. And so of course you have the thoughts about like, should I, start something like CrossFit like and make it better or different. And, you know, and it just, that wasn't something I was drawn towards. It was CrossFit that I really wanted to be more involved in. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that's, that was kind of the path that went down. So obviously it didn't work out at that time, um, but it was a thought that entered your mind and you said, okay, I'll open an affiliate instead. So, you know, eight years go by can you talk about what happened, you know, how you came, how you went from being an affiliate owner and someone who's very passionate about CrossFit to someone who is having conversations with Greg about buying the company? Yeah. So I, um, I sold my, uh, my tech company, Data Logics, um, almost five and a half, almost six years ago now to uh, Oracle, which is, you know, one of the huge software companies in the world. And usually when you're kind of a, um, you know, you're kind of a CEO founder type and you, you sell your company, usually you leave pretty quickly and you're kind of miserable for a while and then you leave, <laughs> then you leave right? And I just decided that wasn't me. So I, I had to find a way to keep engaged and find meaning in what I was doing. And so we, uh, I, I was asked to lead a business called the Oracle Data Cloud at Oracle shortly after joining. And um, we acquired some other companies. And so we became kind of the biggest company in the world in uh, data and analytics for digital advertising. And I love the data and analytics part of it. And one of my 
Data Ninja shirt from Oracle Data Cloud today. Um, and I love, you know, I love, you and I talked about this in the past, but, you know, I love kind of analytical rigor and thinking. And I, yeah, I always love to crunch data. It's kind of been, I've been a math guy since I was born. That's another thing. Like I was just kind of born into being a math person. Yeah. Um, but um, so, so how did this go down exactly? What happened was I was there three, four years, and then I had a lot of, um, I had some pretty serious family trauma on several dimensions, um, starting um, a little over two years ago. And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell this unemotionally, and we can unpack it if you want to, but I'll just tell you factually what happened. My mom, who's the most important person in my life, for a lot of my life, started doing CrossFit actually, which was amazing, um, got sick inexplicably and, um, and died over the course of three months. And I was their sole caregiver during that time. And it was in and out of the emergency room. And I was trying to do my work. I had four kids and my marriage was falling apart at the time. And we both kind of knew it was over, but we were still together, living together. And um, it was really hard. And my mom also took care of my dad who had um, advancing Alzheimer's and was nine years older than her. So all of a sudden I'm taking care of both of them and my marriage is ending and I'm in this job that where I'm like, I'm trying to be there, but I was kind of disengaging anyway. It had been a long time, but I, I made me realize like, you know, pretty clear what's important in my life. And so I had to prioritize. So it was like, try to save mom's life, which didn't happen and be there for her as well, which is a separate thing, which I learned, right. And, and have a meaningful relationship as she, as she died and transitioned. Yeah try to put my dad in a stable situation. And then after my mom died, try to develop a relationship with him. We had never been as close as I was with my mom. Okay. And then, um, and then we had to, you know, we had, we, it was time to end the marriage. And so we, I moved out a week and a half before my mom died. So all this stuff was going on and it was crazy. And I was trying to just, you know, keep my head together, frankly. And my friends were amazing. You know, I just had an amazing group of people surrounding me and, um, and I just decided I had to leave. So I left. Um, I left where I told my boss and he asked me to transition for about six or seven months. But I said, I, I probably won't come into the office much, if at all. And I can't oversee anybody. I don't want to lead the group anymore. But, you, you know, you can still say I'm the leader, but we have to be clear. I don't want to be failing at this job because I feel like I'm, you know, barely hanging on here. And so I, I kind of ended up being involved. But as I pulled out, um, I formed a formal uh, kind of partnership with, um, with a venture capital firm I'd worked with for a long time and um, started to look at businesses with them and on my own around what I called my health and happiness theme. And what was interesting is it wasn't a health, happiness, and performance theme. And so when people would talk to me about various um, wearables for performance and all this, those weren't the things that were floating my boat. It was really the health and happiness parts that were floating my boat and getting me excited. And, um, and so I got involved in probably about um, uh, 10, 10 or more different companies in my health and happiness theme space. And some of them would just be informally becoming friends, um, a handful of them. I would invest, I invested and mentored and stuff like that. And then there were a couple where I joined and got really involved, joined on the board and um, most notably and closest into the CrossFit space was True Coach, where I, I led an investment round, became an active chairman, you know, was in the office every week with Casey and Robbie, the founders, and took that through a, a sale um, uh, earlier this year, which was not what we planned. We, I thought I'd be doing that for five or seven years, wow. but um they they basically got a really good opportunity to come to to 
to sell it to a private equity firm. And they both were at a time in their life where that was a really meaningful thing for them financially and otherwise in setting up their families. So we sold that business, um, but I had a lot of fun with it. And it was, again, it was really good to integrate it. And then I got very involved in a, in a mental health company um, more recently called um, Sondermind, which is just an amazing company. And same kind of thing where I'm actively on the board and I still meet with Mark every week. I'll be with him in two meetings today. Um, and I just, I love what we're doing there. Um, and so that, that, that stuff kind of created the space and put my head space and this is what I want to do. And then um, when, um, you know, when, when the controversy hit, you know, two and a half months ago, I started to get pinged by people saying, why don't, Rosa, I keep thinking I'm going to read your, your, your becoming CEO of CrossFit. And in some cases, it would, you know, there were five or 10 of these. Like it was on LinkedIn. It was texts. In some cases, it was people I hadn't talked to in three or four years. It wasn't necessarily CrossFitters, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, when I, called, um, when I called Marcus from Noble, who had been a friend for a few years, one of these guys I'd met on my health and happiness quest, I, he got, he's, I said, so Marcus, I got a crazy idea for you. He goes, you don't have to tell me. He goes, I was wondering when you were going to call me. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I kind of been expecting you were going to call me, which is kind of funny. Um, and um, and uh, one guy in particular, David Woods, who is a former member of our gym, uh, who had moved away to Austin, Texas, and had met, his, um, had met his now wife, Anna, in our gym proposed to her in our gym we had done like a workout together for their engagement right after the proposal in our gym like all those things happened in CrossFit Sanitas but I hadn't kept in touch with David um, he was one of the people who pinged me and said Rosa you should go be CEO you should buy the company and he's and I said instead of just laughing I was like man he's right I should you know, and so I said to him can you help he said maybe and he, the guy basically sends a cold email to Greg and the rest of the leadership team at CrossFit. And so when I said, can you help? I thought he knew somebody. And I think, you know, he had met one or two people over the years, but like he didn't really know anybody. And here's the amazing thing, Greg, of the thousands of emails he got, he saw David's and he picked up the phone and called him. Mm -hmm. And David's email, you know, the substance of it was, you've got a big problem here, Greg, you know, I, I think you got to sell the company or CrossFit's going to go down. And I'm not, and when I say that, that's not about a judgment of you. It's really just out of love because CrossFit has saved my life. And I think you need to meet Eric Rosa. Like it was a version of that. And he sent me the email after he had sent it. And I was, Julia, I was frankly horrified because he was like, <laughs> Eric's great at this and he's done this and he's an eight year affiliate owner. He's a tech CEO. And I'm just like, I literally was like this reading it going, well, I've been trying to, you know, subtly get to Greg through someone he knows well. And well, oh, well, I guess it's over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Greg called and Greg picked up the phone and called him. So I'm sitting there. So I'll give you the full story. because No one's no one's really heard this yet. I had a date. Okay. I had a date in about an hour. And um, I get this thing from him. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I had to get on a phone call. So I jump onto a phone call, I'm, I'm like on this conference call. And while I'm on it, I just decided to check email and I'm thinking, well, it's, I'm like, this really sucks because I thought I was going to figure this out, but like, there's no way that's going to be well responded to. And there's another email that says done deal. Wow. And, and um, David has talked to Greg for 35 minutes. They hit it off. And, and um, he said, he basically said, I think Greg wants, I think Greg is interested in talking. 
And wow. so I basically, I'm getting ready for my date. I'm like getting into the shower, getting ready to drive down to Denver. And I'm talking to David on the way down. He says, what do we do now? And I said, we, I said, where is he? He said, he's in Santa Barbara. I said, we're in Santa Barbara tomorrow. Book us plane tickets. You know? <laughs> wow. And then it all happened really fast. Well, yeah. And then Greg, Greg sent, the, uh, sent his plane out for us. And so he said to Greg, well, we're coming to Santa Barbara tomorrow. I said, don't ask. Tell him. He said, should, should you call him? I said, no, you talk to him. You talk to the CFO. You got the relationship. I got to go to my date. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm literally getting ready. And David, I'm talking to him, like, when are the flights and all that? And so um, it wasn't my date was very indulgent because all I wanted to talk about was this. Um, and I said, sorry, I'm, you know, I don't know this is the right time to be kind of entering into a relationship for me. But thanks, <laughs> you know, thanks for being a friend here. And the next morning we were on a flight to Santa Barbara. Wow. That's and, then, and then, you know, like four days later, we announced. It was crazy. It all happened very quickly. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's interesting. I actually just recently, have you read The Alchemist before? Long, long time ago. Yeah. So many of the things you're saying, it's like, it really seems like this is the story that was written for you in so many ways. So it's It exciting. does. And, I, you know, I try, I, let me tell you about, so let's get on this topic really quickly. I try not to get too metaphysical about things. I mean, I'm not really wired for that. Um, but sometimes you have to admit that things are happening that you don't really understand and people have different ways of explaining them from different, re different religions and philosophical beliefs and so on. And my, my terms for this now, and I, it's funny because I developed these for myself only a month or two before this happened because actually what I didn't mention is about a month before this all happened, I was getting into kind of a down place where I was like, this isn't enough. And so I should say this, this really was priming, you know, again, like, what was it, the universe priming me for this? I don't know. But I was like, doing all these boards and advising other people and then leaving, like I'm made, some people are made to be investors, and I'm not, I'm made to be an operator, you know, I want to be on the field, playing, I, I you know, I, I, when I'm a when I'm leading a company, even when the company's pretty big, like we got to 1600 people at Oracle Data Cloud, I like to be doing the work, you know, I'm a player coach kind of guy, like it's what I do. And so this idea of being of spending my life with, you know, with hopefully many, many, you know, 50 plus years left, I hope, just it kind of advising other people. And I just realized, like, no many or no matter how many of those I put together, and how, how meaningful they were. I taught a class at, at uh, University of Colorado last semester as well, and that was great. But I was just like, man, I'm an operator, like at my core. And so I was, I was actually feeling pretty stressed out because I would get these calls to go run this tech company or this tech company, this enterprise software company, and they would just leave me cold. And so I was just, I was just kind of it wasn't there. And then the, the, yeah, this magic kind of happened. So like, I've actually embraced these terms for myself. There's like, and I think of it, I think of it as there's inner magic and there's outer magic. That, and again, I just define these for myself literally a couple months before this happened. And I journaled about them. Like inner magic is when there's something in you and you don't realize it's there and it comes out and it, you know, kind of rises to the challenge, but it was not obvious that it would, you know, it's, it's just something that you can't really claim to be controlling it. It's just coming through you. And then outer magic, right. Is when the universe conspires and, you know, all this stuff, you know, all this horrible stuff happens. It was very impactful. And we have to look at COVID as well with, um, you know, with CrossFit selling and Greg's willingness to sell it, right. It was this one, two punch, right. Um, that's horrible stuff. Um, and the question always is, can something good come out of this? So that was kind of the external things that had to happen. And then David Woods, 
you know, kind of coming out of nowhere with this note and then reaching out to Greg and Greg happening to respond, you know, that was all that. So the, all the inner and outer magic, you really, you don't, you can't take any credit for it, right? It's just kind of happening. And that, that starts to sound really metaphysical, whether, no matter what kind of terms you put it in, you know, whether you put it in terms of, of God doing his work or the universe conspiring or magic. But I like, again, I've kind of found for me, somehow I've started to resonate on these terms of internal and external magic. And I don't believe in magic, but it just keeps happening. And uh, in fact, it's most of the most important things in my life, including would I have ever gotten into CrossFit if I hadn't injured myself running? No, I would have been, you know, you know, been a mediocre uh, ultra marathoner or whatever. That's what would have happened, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, I love those terms. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I do believe that everything happens for a reason. So it's, it's really cool to see it all playing out. Um, okay, so I want to shift into this, these past couple months. So you, you know, made the announcement, you'd entered into this agreement with Greg that you were going to buy CrossFit and you really hit the ground running. So I know, you know, you put your email out there, you were answering emails at all hours of the morning, you're talking to affiliate owners, you're talking with the games athletes, getting them back on board, you're bringing Nicole Carroll back in, um, meeting I'm with... Hang, I'm, hang, I'm hang, hanging out on Fraser's back deck with you and Danny at midnight or one, geeking out on health, esoteric health stuff after everyone else has gone to sleep. Uh, yeah, man, and Sam are like, guys, we're going to go to bed. Um but yeah, you were, I mean, in this huge information gathering phase. So just from your perspective, once you knew, okay, this is happening, what's going through your head and what was your approach in those few weeks or month, you know, month or so before everything was finalized to, to really get a pulse on what you needed to do? I think it was a combination of um, kind of being intuitively guided mm-hmm. and, you know, a complete kind of manic frenzy of activity and some, um, and I think some thoughtfulness about what was most important. Um, but I didn't, I didn't sit down every morning and say, these are the five tasks that I need to get accomplished. One of the really important things I did, you know, I'm someone who just believes so strongly in the power of teams and leverage and complementarity and so on. And I have a reasonable sense of what I'm good at and, and the many things that I'm less good at and, and, over time, I've gotten to know other people who are good at those things. So when Greg and I got to a verbal agreement, which was the day after I returned from my time with him. So we spent about nine hours together um, when we arrived. We were together till about 11 at night. Um, and then the next morning, we spent about uh, four more. And I'd say the nine hours the first day was mostly him talking. And then the next morning, I woke up and said, you know, I need to take control of the situation. And so I asked him to sit down and not talk. And I went to the whiteboard and I laid out a vision of CrossFit's future that I felt like I could lead um, and a vision of his future without CrossFit. Right. And, um, and then I, then we, we left and I was like, wow, this could happen. And mm-hmm. the next, and that I sent him a, I sent him a formal term sheet. Like that was the first step, right? Not a formal term sheet, but I sent him via email and then that went to his junk folder. So I sent him a text and read him this note basically said, you know, I want to buy CrossFit from you and lead it for the rest of my life. And here's why. So, you know, you have this term sheet and the, what the term sheet is non-binding. Either party can walk away. The most important part of it is you're agreed on some basics for the transaction. And there's what's called a no shop or exclusivity period. And usually lawyers write that. And that says that the seller can't talk to anybody else. So you can do a lot of work, spend a lot of time, spend a lot of money figuring out how this is going to happen. And um, so instead of talking to any lawyers, 
I just said, I'm going to write this myself right from the heart. <laughs> so I wrote, I basically said, Greg, please don't shop this deal or try to negotiate it um, in any way. Um, I'm not commodity money. I'm a passionate mother who wants <laughs> to spend the rest of his life building on your legacy. Um, and it was, it was my first version of this notion of being the world's leading platform for health, happiness, and performance. And so it was like from the heart, you know, and I was like crying as I wrote it and I was crying as I read it to him. And um, so that was like, I'd say that was the first thing I had to do, right, was get that, get him to agree to that. So he, he, he texted me back and wrote, yes, yes, yes. And then we hung up and I just took a deep breath and I, you know, it's kind of tears in my eyes. And I'm, I was out in front of my house. It was a beautiful sunny day. It was a morning. And I just was like, oh, my God. It, I, there are two emotions. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening. Like, this can't be real. And secondly was, holy shit, what am I going to do now? How does this happen? And so I've, I've acquired companies before, but it's always been with, like, a big team around me. And you get the lawyers and you get this and, the, you know, the investment bankers and all this stuff. And my first, my first intuition was, I'm not going to, I had a couple financial partners I had already talked to about the deal and I decided I'm not going to have them in the deal right now. This is going to be, I want to control the way this whole thing works. It has to be native to what's authentic to me, but I also don't want to put a lot of process and friction into this thing with a big investment firm out of the bat. They can come in later. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm like, well, I got to build a team. And yeah. so that was, so that was the most important thing by far. And it always is right. Is what, who's your team. And so like, what do I need? Okay. I need someone really detailed to do due diligence because I don't have, you know, I'm not a detail oriented guy around that stuff. So I called a few folks um, and my, my great friend, Carl Meyer came in and led due diligence and he, and Carl also led all the contracting with Greg. So I got him doing this. I wouldn't even come to the meetings. And Carl's like, I can't believe we had daily meetings. I actually saw Carl last night for dinner. He said, you didn't come to a single daily meeting. I said, nope. He goes, how could you get comfortable with that? I said, because I had a great guy leading it who I've known for 15 years. You know, I had other stuff I had to do. Right. So, it, and I, so I did that in a bunch. I, Andrew Weinstein, my communications guy, who's now part of the CrossFit team. I'd worked with Andrew for eight years. That's, you know, this, if you think about like this, you know, this announcement came out and the narrative changed and all that, that was all just, Andrew was my only partner on that. You know, we did that together. We didn't hire some big firm or anything like that. It was Andrew and me doing all that stuff. And so I just had this amazing team who were experts at what they did around me. And we, uh, and so the thing was like, get this transaction done as fast as possible. Get the contract closed, announce ASAP, get the contract done get the due diligence done, get a finance partner. Another longtime friend of mine, Frank Petito, who's now the chief financial officer of CrossFit, I brought in and I said, Frank, I want you to focus on the investors. I don't, nothing else, like figure out what investors we can work with and work with them to get the investor deal done. So that was kind of how we divide responsibilities. And then I just, yeah, my job was to listen to as many people as possible and get to know the community and become a real person to them and I'm very conscious of the difference between a persona that's in the media and a real person. And one of the, I think one of the, one of my favorite things about the podcast format and you and I spoke when I was in Tennessee. So I know we share a love of some very similar great podcasters in the health space. We like, you know, direct bullseye with you and Danny on who we listen to. But I just love the depth that you can get into in a podcast with someone who's not, 
necessarily a professional interviewer like you, but as someone who's passionate about their subject matter and focuses on one thing, which is why I was so excited to do this with you and you asked me to do it in Tennessee. Um, but I just decided I wanted to get to know people. You know, I thrive on relationships and, um, and I just want to get to know people as a person. I'm not, I've never been like a social media guy. Um, and so I, it, for me, it was about, you, you have to do that stuff, but the want to do was to get to know people. And what is this community all about? I have a certain perception as an affiliate owner of eight years and an athlete of 10 years and all that, but I don't really know, you know, I haven't been inside the beast yet. So that was really what I was trying to do was to get all the crazy chaotic uh, beauty of CrossFit into me as fast as I could, like just start channeling it into my body. Just absorb all of it. Yeah. Who were some of the, like the most, you know, as we're going through this, this period of trying to get all this information, who were some of the most important stakeholders that you knew you needed to have conversations with? Um, I knew that, and I love that you use the term stakeholders because we use that a lot internally now. I mean, that's just become a key thing. And I, I will start by saying that CrossFit has the craziest stakeholder ecosystem I've ever seen. You know, I analyze stakeholders for a living. It's my first class when I'm, te when I'm teaching entrepreneurship at the University of Colorado. My first class is about understanding your stakeholders and what do they want from you. It's wow. literally how I start the whole class on how to be a successful entrepreneur. So it's great, it's great that you use that term, but it was overwhelming. I'm like, oh my gosh. So, okay, we've got the, and I, and I missed some of them out of the bat, right? But I go, we clearly have the affiliate owners. We clearly have the, uh, the pro athletes and we clearly have the gym members or athletes, right? Who do that. And then we've got people who are disillusioned and disenfranchised and have left the community. And then we've got people who are, um, as my new colleague, um, Josh Weisberg says, CrossFit curious, right? People who are intrigued and might, maybe they watch the games or they're, oh, they're going to come in someday or they, they're annoyed with their friends, but they're secretly kind of curious or they're, you know, whatever. We all, there's a lot of those. There's a lot more of those people than there are of CrossFitters, right? So thinking of that as a stakeholder, right, that we, we need to make it easier and safer for them to get into CrossFit or it's a little too expensive right now, but when they get their next job, they're going to do it or whatever. Um, so I, I kind of was conscious of that. I'll tell you a stakeholder group I was not and then of course the team that works for CrossFit um, but even that I found out was a complicated concept because I didn't know you know as a you know as a longtime red shirt and all that like I didn't know about um, I didn't know about seminar staff and red red shirts as a thing even though I had done an L1 and L2 I didn't think of that as a stakeholder community I assumed those were just longtime affiliate owners or maybe CrossFit employees. And of course they are those things and more. So I didn't know, I didn't know that I didn't know seminar staff was a thing, you know? And so I was like, well, you haven't done a call with seminar staff. And I'm like, explain this to me. Is that the same as red shirts? And what, what does that mean? And all that. Right. So that was a stakeholder I hadn't thought about. I knew that the, it's so hard to, to, to talk about what this was because now we get into more nebulous terms, but call it the community that's focused on DEI most readily, which is, Everybody at some level, but figuring out like who are the important voices to speak with within CrossFit who either are committed to it or have or have kind of left it. And, and so any notion that there was a, you know, a black a black community as a monolithic block, right? Is it, as I quickly learned, is in itself a racist thought, right? Any more than there's a white community or an anything else community, right? They're individuals who agree on some things and are a little confused and disagree on others. And this is when I decided, this was another kind of intuitive thing I decided, 
I'm going to get people to Boulder as soon as possible for a community summit. And, I'm gonna, and then I decide I'm going to do this every quarter. We're going to reach out to different people in the ecosystem and do a bunch of, you know, forums and panels and without an agenda, really, other than just listening to each other and getting to know each other and overcoming biases and allowing uncomfortable conversations to happen in the room. And so that was like one of the big insights. And so, um, you know, we, we got, and, you know, doing that, there were two things that were interesting about that in addition to the fact that we didn't have a deal done, right? So, but one was, yeah, I was not the CEO of CrossFit when I did this and I didn't ask for permission. And so I heard from someone, you know, you, you know Greg's not thrilled you're doing this. And I thought to myself, well, should I be asking for permission? I said, well, no, because anyone could do this. Like, I'm just doing this, you know, and I, I need to learn. It's part, of my, it's part of my process and I don't want to wait. So I just decided to do it. And then the question was, wow, it's the middle of COVID. And like, <laughs> can we find a venue that will allow us to do this? Yeah. And will people be willing to come? And so we had to do, you know, we do this in kind of crazy fashion, but we had, you know, we probably had 25 people come in person and we probably had, another 20 or so in one session or another do zooms. And, you know, I initially thought of it, we will do a, we'll do a session on DEI and we'll do a session on affiliate success. And we'll do a, a session on the games. And so I was thinking of it in these, and we'll do a session on training. I was thinking of it in these blocks. And then I was like, well, these people are, and then I'll host, I'll host dinners outside on my deck um, for people who, you know, to come to those too. And then, and I'll have people who are on my team coming in who aren't part of CrossFit yet and they'll get to know each other and we'll see how all this crazy stew fits together. And the short answer is it fit together, you know, incredibly well. But the other thing that was so cool once we did it is I, I'm like, well, these people are all here now. Why don't I invite them to other stuff too? And so I just came up with another thing that's just going to be a rule for these summits. If you come, you can join for any of the open sessions. So if you're coming as an affiliate owner and you have an interest in DEI, Join for that one. Maybe you're not sitting at the inner table. You're on the, out, you're the outer table, but chime in as much or more than anybody else. And I think that led to part of the magic was this kind of somewhat random assemblage of really cool people um, coming in, who a lot of whom knew each other and a lot of whom didn't, and breaking down and informally talking about these issues, whether they were experts in them or more amateurs. And the object, what's really important is the objective of the summit isn't to come to any decisions. This isn't a pay. This is just a forum for listening to each other and being heard. And I was like, the beauty of doing this every quarter and with different people, you know, a few will be the same, some will be different, is this thing's going to take on an organic life itself. But it's not, you know, it's not a 5,000 person conference and it's not a cheerleading session and it's not a forum I use to make announcements or no one's there to be a talking head, right? It's a, it's a forum for kind of just passion and debating issues um and it, it just it worked really well and we, you know we would of course have a workout every morning and we did that outside and we boulder's so beautiful and you know we weren't going to go into a gym in the middle of covid with 25 people right so we did we did these hikes you know slash runs every day up mount up mount sanitas which is right near my house and which the gym is named after and by the way mount sanitas it means health which is so cool it's, oh. it's actually it's sanitas in Latin, but everyone, everyone, in, everyone calls it sanitas because so many things have Spanish names here that no one knows it's Latin, but it actually, the name is, it's sanitas. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't realize that. And cool, you know, what you said about bringing so many different people together and being part of different conversations because, you know, really that's what happens in all of our affiliates, right? It's bringing right. all 
people together who normally wouldn't interact and now they're having conversations and breaking down barriers. So, so, so cool. And there were some, there were some very tense parts. I, I didn't want it to get too tense, but I didn't want to shy away from conflict, but you, I know because I've led and moderated a lot of, um, a lot of meetings I know that you, a group could, you want, it's just, it's exactly like bringing an athlete into CrossFit. You want someone working their edge, but you can get broken if you go past that. And there were, there were one or two times when we risked getting broken. So you have to, like, you have to build trust in a community. And there, we, we were not coming in baggage free to a lot of the discussions, you know, discussions around um, race are really tough. Discussions around gender are really tough. Um, discussions around the games and how they how the athletes were feeling and and how Dave and Justin felt and all that like these were tense things and it's going to take time to fully build trust and we have to acknowledge that right so the the challenge there is to uh, is to work the edge i i had a great um I had a very close friend um, whose who's, uh, life CrossFit has changed over the last couple of years, and he didn't even come into CrossFit until he was 60. So it's pretty amazing. And he's a lo- you know, longtime CEO and board member, and I had him moderate um, the game session. And there was a time you know, when we were going over our edge. It was just very clear. He was leading us there, and he was trying to push it. And um, a couple of us, in- including, uh, including Bill from Rogue, were like, Dude, I think you're I think you're driving it too far. And and you know, Castro texted me and said, What's he trying to do here? And I knew what he was trying to do, but it was like I also know from doing these meetings, we're not ready for this yet. So I had to step and say, Michael, I get what you're trying to do. We're not gonna go here. Uh, and yeah. he was kind of like, he looked at me and he's like, Hey, who's moderating the session? Trust me. And I was like, dude next time you know or the time after that or the time after that right now we're not going to go there and so there were some tense moments but that was important you've got to test your edges and test your boundaries and then we would have these great hikes together in the morning and you'd be hiking with someone you hadn't talked to yet and then everyone would be at my house for a barbecue afterwards and it was really awesome and it was you know i would say that was a full magic kind of thing going on there you know it really sounds like it so from you know the summit and from all and, the and I'm definitely going to get uh, definitely try to get you and Dandy out for the next <laughs> one. That sounds awesome. Um, so after all of these conversations, you know the the deal is finalized. Right now, where you're sitting, what are the biggest priorities for CrossFit at the moment? I think I, I have a term. I don't. I think I may have coined inadvertently by by mispronouncing something, but I'm calling it serve thriving. So to get the, you know, kind of the surviving and thriving at the same time, um, we want to, we want to help the affiliates serve thrive through COVID. I think that's a big one, right? That's, um, that is top of mind for us um, is, you know, this, this, um, you know, I'm sure you have a very strong point of view on this. That's, that's uh, even more informed than mine is, but you know, what I've told the team from a planning assumption standpoint is, assume that COVID's going to be more or less as bad as it is now for a year. There are going to be ebbs and flows, but, you know, anyone who's betting against a third wave and all these things is, you know, really rolling the dice with something pretty dangerous. And so that, that means, that doesn't just mean, oh, assume revenue is going to be lower. It says, what are we going to build right now to make ourselves thrive through this? And what are we going to do to increase our learning? And what does it mean about long-term changes and all these kinds of things? So I think thinking about this COVID model, apply it to the 14,000 small business owners, right, who are the lifeblood of CrossFit, and then to all the other stakeholders in the ecosystem and see how does that play out. So I think that's one big thing. And then the other one is 
building for the long term in parallel. So splitting your brain and saying, how are we going to get towards this bigger vision? Because we know we are going to get through COVID and that's likely to happen by the end of 2021. Not for sure at all. And so, um, what, you know, how are we going to make sure that we are making a ton of progress towards what our 2022 or whatever looks like at the same time? And, you know, everything from team building to strategy to everything to what, what does this want to look like to partnerships, all those kinds of things. And in the meantime, putting out this mission, which I have for what CrossFit is with, you know, really deliberate thought to what each of the words means and then thinking about what are the values that are guiding us and are we living these things? Yes. And I love how you talked about that at the town hall and kind of explained the purpose and the intention behind each one of those words. So the world's leading platform for health, happiness, and performance. And I love how too the order of those words, how you said health, happiness, and performance. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think health comes first as a baseline, right? Because, you know, the, you know, the extreme opposite of health is, you know, is being completely broken in a way that you can't actually live your life and, and dying, right? Which is what is going to happen to all of us at the end of the day. We all just, I think those of us doing CrossFit want it to happen, falling off a cliff one day when we're a hundred something, right? And being, but um, so it was like kind of, that's the baseline. Talk about that's for, you know, not, pe most people don't find CrossFit to work on their happiness. They, they come to work on their health. I think that's primarily what they're working on. Um, and then the happiness comes along for the ride as you're chasing performance, kind of, right? I, I think that's kind of the way I, I saw it happening. Yes, I love it. And I think it's very interesting, just the contrast between that. And I think of, you know, across its very early tagline, forging elite fitness and some of the, um, what seems like over the past several years, how there's been this tension or this conflict between CrossFit for performance or the CrossFit games and CrossFit for health. They've been sort of these like very separate things that are both almost on different tracks when in fact really CrossFit is this beautiful spectrum that's infinitely scalable and can really serve all of these purposes. So can you touch on that at all about how, you know, like health is baked into everything that we do at CrossFit and it's not necessarily separate from our performance goals? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting, right? CrossFit, you, you have to, when you're building, you know, when you're building a business or an organization or a brand or a movement, there's this notion you can't be all things to all people, which is very true. You've got to tightly define what you are. Well, with CrossFit, when we tightly define what we are, we can miss a lot of what we are. And, and forging elite fitness is a great case in point. Like that sounds really cool, but I don't think that actually that term um, resonates for most people working out in CrossFit gyms, you know, it's, you know, and so it, it it's, it, it is appropriate yet yeah, to our games athletes, and they, so the, I think what, when you said like this tension or conflict or the fact that they're siloed, we have to, we have to, and I, cause I think it actually happens naturally. We don't even need, need to force it. We integrate these things without, without like it, it's, you don't have to be in it to forge elite fitness, to be inspired by people who are becoming the best versions of themselves. You know, and I think I, I'll just talk about my own journey as an athlete in CrossFit, right? Where I, you know, I had a, this, you know, this is probably when I was in my, you know, when I was like 48 or 49, when a, a friend of mine um, was, you know, really, you know, he was like, kind of, he's like, dude, you know, if you push it, like, he's like, why don't you start giving up other stuff and training three hours a day? 
right? And like, why don't you see if you could make it to the games in your in the 50 bracket or the 55 bracket if you don't make it by then? I said, I don't think I have it in me. You know, I don't think I've got the athleticism and I don't think I've got the will to do it either. And he said, I think you do. Like, put your mind to something. And, he, you know, he, what was interesting about that is I have the will to do some pretty cool things like leading CrossFit or whatever, but that wasn't it, right? It wasn't coming to that tip of the sphere. It wasn't being, you know, it wasn't been... Fr- being for going from being a good at good age group athlete in a box to being an elite elite athlete that just wasn't my journey at all and so i for me it just yeah that i wasn't and when i when i was chasing that at whatever limited level i was you know training four hours a week or something instead of four hours a day um for the open i realized i was less happy i was very critical of myself you know i just would be pissed off that i would you know screwed up this workout and put screwed up in quotes instead of enjoying the ride and so i just wasn't wired for chasing that elite athleticism whether or not i could have gotten there and so i you know i've learned along the way you know if you're not enjoying the ride hang it up right because that's all there is and um so yeah that's so i just thought about this like what CrossFit is in this broader sense applies to everybody. And I've been, you know, I've been giving a bunch of shout out, shout outs recently to Athena Perez. Has she hit your radar? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I hadn't heard of her and, you know, CrossFit had done this video about her a while ago and she wrote this book and she's just amazing. And she and I haven't spoken yet, but um, you know, that's the continuum, right? Is someone who comes in at 500 pounds and, um, and, you know, and, and it, and CrossFit just completely transforms their life at a time when they didn't think that was possible anymore or ever. And, you know, I get teary eyed when I think about that. And also this elite performance of, you know, watching Matt and Tia and others on the podium, right? That's CrossFit is all those things in a way that is integrated. And it's what, it's what makes CrossFit so crazy and so unique in the history of humanity. There, you know, you could argue that there is a tie-in between somebody finishing an Ironman and somebody running their first 5K or doing their first half-mile swim in open water, or whatever. But I don't think it's the same. I, I don't think the. Um, I think there's something much tighter here about this is all CrossFit. Otherwise, like one's an Ironman and one's a triathlon. And I don't know. It's the the fact that we're all doing CrossFit and doing the same stuff is some, and and going into the same kind of gyms and all the rest of it. There's something. You're sweating next to each other. You're. Yeah. It's like, it's just like nothing else. And that continuum again, not just from an amateur athlete to a pro athlete, but from someone who's, you know, in a wheelchair or missing a limb or struggling with addiction or, you know, you name it, like that's where the power is, you know? And so we, so how do we, yeah, how do we tell this? We, I think we have a mission that embraces all of this now. Um, how do we, you know, create a brand that is meaningful outside of our own community to bring in all these CrossFit, to make more people CrossFit curious and to bring more and more of the CrossFit curious in and frankly, to bring back a lot of the people who, um, who have touched CrossFit, but it didn't stick for them. You know, I, I thought about CrossFit Sinitas um, multiple years ago because I started to see, oh, my God, over time, I think we have introduced CrossFit to probably 2,000 people at this point. Wow. And, um, and Boulder only has about 100,000 people. So I'm like, this is crazy. Like 2% of Boulder's population has come into our gym to work out at some point. 
But, you know, now, you know, we've got a tenth that many members now. Pre-COVID, we had about a fifth, you know, about 400 members is about where we tend to peak out. And so we're touching many more people, hopefully in a positive way, but not positive enough that they've stayed with it, right? Um, and so, like, we, I think about that as another stakeholder, coming back to your stakeholder comment, right? All these people who tried CrossFit maybe for six months, maybe for a year, maybe just went through our base camp, don't know, but didn't stick with it or didn't stick with it with us. Some of them stuck with it and moved away or went to another gym. And, like, this, these people all have a sense of CrossFit. And right from the beginning, I wanted to, I wanted to have an imp- a positive impact on all their lives, whether or not they became members. And hopefully we have a bunch of times. But we want them to stay in the community. And this is, this is Julie, this is one of my key concepts for CrossFit that I've started to talk about. And I don't know that I hit it much yesterday on the town hall, is the notion of, be, of thinking in the box and thinking out of the box. Like, I just, I want to always be thinking out of the box. How do we, in my wildest dreams 10 years from now, it's not that there are going to be 100 million people doing CrossFit in CrossFit boxes. It's that the notion of what a CrossFit box is, is going to morph and change and expand on the one end. The other one is we're going to bring CrossFit to people in parks, in their homes, all those kinds of things all over the world. And it's going to make it more accessible and more affordable and so on. And, you know, the whole notion of infinite scalability, we so often talk about in, in that in the context of athletic ability, but it's really in the context of equipment as well. And, you know, over the, over the break, um, you know, during the quarantine, one of the things I was spending with my time and getting a lot of meaning from was coaching um, friends' companies on Zoom. And so I would like, I was introducing a lot of new people to CrossFit and probably with like five different tech companies, you'd find me a given morning at like, 6 a.m. because they were in Boston with this, uh, this company Jebit as an example, where they, you know, they asked me, I think I did it three times, and I'm like, guys, I, this isn't a weekly thing, but, um, and, and you know, trying to come up with creative workouts that they could be doing with you know, broomsticks and filling backpacks up with books and hanging upside down under their dining room tables doing, uh, you know, <laughs> doing uh, bows and stuff like that, like all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But since cross, since we're as CrossFit coaches, we're creative. We're not just good at scaling people's athletic ability. We to any environment, we figure out what can you jump on, what can you do, what can you pull from, what can you push from, all these kinds of things. So I think you know it's this out this out of the box expansion of CrossFit is the key to our 10x growth. It is central to it. That's amazing, and too like you know, like you talk about how can we make COVID into a strength for us or into a positive thing in so many ways, it's forcing us to be creative and think outside the box. Um, and hopefully we'll see that the benefits of that even long after COVID is not at the top of our yeah, mind. Yeah. What's been, Julie, let me ask you a question. What's been your kind of biggest out, you know, kind of out of the box thinking experience with COVID in your, in your own life and, and workouts and business, new business and all that? Like what, what, um, I think, I mean, for me, just in general, COVID, I think it, it really put a lot of things in perspective in terms of getting me to slow down, which um, I'm not very good at. I would and not then, think you were. <laughs> and then, you know, the workouts were great. You know, Danny and I ended up doing, we don't have a garage or really a big gym at our, at our place in Cleveland. So we were doing home workouts with dumbbells every morning and it really turned us into morning exercisers. Now we love doing our workouts first thing in the morning. Um, and I think I'm really excited too about on a broader scale, 
you know, looking at COVID and looking at the people that are highest risk of really getting sick from COVID, it's the people who have chronic disease. It's the people who, you know, are sick. And so that, again, puts a little bit of pressure, hopefully, for our culture to be able to put more focus back on health. And how can we help our our world and our people be more healthy and be more resilient against COVID, but also against anything else, whether it's another infection that comes along, whether it's getting in a car accident, whether it's, you know, coming down with another unexpected condition, if we're at our healthiest, we're then more resilient to be able to fight any of that off. It's like, you know, the sickness, wellness, fitness continuum that we talk about that is, you know, when I first heard it, it changed my life because it's, that's what it's all about. It's how can we build that resilience and be healthy and build the buffer against any of these challenges that life throws our way. Julie, why do you think, um, I don't want to get into kind of conspiracy theories, but why is there not more talk and examination, or at least there doesn't seem to be as much as I would think about this relationship between, um, between these comorbidities and, and COVID susceptibility? Are people, are, are, are public health authorities afraid that those of us who, um, who are, you know, maybe more, less likely to get COVID and less likely to get uh, severe symptoms will get more lackadaisical then in our uh, kind of, mask wearing and, and social distancing or what is it? Why, why don't we, why don't we like really dig into that and study that? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm only speculating, but I, I would have to guess that it stems from like the larger focus of our healthcare system on being reactive and treating disease. You know, yeah, we've, never, yeah. Yeah, we've never been focused on health. And, and part of that is, you know, the big emphasis on, pharmaceutical companies and food companies and all these other players that are, you know, playing a role, um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be making money if everyone's healthy. Um, and it was, you know, it's interesting to see even the CDC. Now you sound like a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but no, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. But even we saw the CDC for the first time just a few weeks ago, put something out about, you know, the importance of nutrition for our immune systems and, and helping us be healthy. And they, you know, that was the first time in this whole pandemic that they've said anything about it when it's very, you know, the evidence, and the research is very clear that if you get enough sleep and you exercise and you eat real food, your immune system is going to work better. And so why wouldn't all of us want to do those things to give ourselves the best chance of, you know, being healthy? Well, and let's add in something that probably has been less, uh, less proven today, but I think we all have a lot of conviction around that social interactions also help our oh, system absolutely. work better, right? We, we, you know, I think the lack of, you know, the lack of oxytocin production has been probably one of the biggest public health risks in history, right? Oh, so huge. It's huge. I always say nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress, and relationships, like those five things. If you've got those dialed in, you're going to be pretty healthy. You've got yeah. in place. Um, well, I want to get to, there's three questions I usually end with. Um, on the podcast that I want to get to, but I do want to touch on one subject, which I know is maybe a little bit um, sensitive, but I think it's something that the community is interested in, at least he in hearing about it to the degree that you can talk about it. And that's in who is going to be driving a lot of the decision-making for CrossFit as a company. So I think everyone was really excited, you know, and, and relieved to see when you said we're buying hundred percent of CrossFit. Um, but but moving forward, I think people are curious, what's the role of the investors in terms of making decisions, you know, and who, if you, if we are going to learn, or can you reveal who is going to be on the board um, and who's going to be kind of driving decision-making on a, you know, day-to-day -day basis or a big, bigger scale? Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, we're, no, I don't, I don't, I think that's a great question to ask and totally fair question. Um, and, uh, so we, um, we're putting together a board. We have, um, we have, I think one of these is still kind of just finalizing, but we, we basically have a seven member board, including myself, and we may be adding an eighth person to it. I suspect okay. we will. Um, we're, we haven't kind of announced the board members, not that it's a secret, but I just out of respect for them, I think we'll figure out when we're going to announce all their names, but we have an, an incredible board and it's, it, it, this is really cool. It's, it's um, very heavy on what are called independent directors. And what an independent director means is that they're not actually tied in to the investment firm. Okay. So this is a really important and cool thing. So uh, on, the, on the board currently, if I, if I round it up to seven, which is where I think we are, because um, again, one of them is kind of a verbally accepted <laughs> thing, but we have um, two folks from the investors and me, and then, um, and then four independents. Okay. And that's really great. Like you want, you want a bunch of people who are independent. What independent means is they don't work for the company and they don't work for the investors, right? So they're people who have been picked because they're great leaders. They're, they have expertise in certain areas that we, uh, that we believe will fit. And they're just great people who are going to like help us think about things, but without an agenda and with, without being caught in the weeds like I am as a, the operator and without an agenda like the investors that, you know, investors at their worst kind of are just trying to make a buck. And, the, and these, uh, these independents have, as you'll see as we announce them and not to be coy, but they're people who don't need to be working. They don't need to be spending time on anything right now. So they're doing it out of passion and excitement about the cause. And, and that's four out of seven people, which is really cool and really unusual. I've actually never seen a board that has that many independents on it. It's, it's awesome. And so the, the role of the board is what's called governance, right? And so it's, they don't, it's not to lead the company. It's to help me think about lead, how to lead the company to, um, and to challenge me and to um, coach me and cheer me on and to make me better, to call me out on my own BS. And frankly, you know, to, uh, yeah, to, to, to be there, to, again, as this independent governing entity to make sure we're on the right track for the long term. Um, everybody has self-selected in, including, including our, our lead investors, Berkshire Partners, knowing my long-term aspirations to lead this business for, for the next 50 years. That's what I say. <laughs> um, and um, they're, they're all in on it. You know, long, so that's known as a long-term time horizon. And so let me tell you a way that would manifest in the near term would be, well, you know what, I know you, we want to build all these great apps for CrossFit as an example and do all this great technology to help the boxes run their businesses better, but COVID's worse than we thought, so let's wait. That would be a more of a short-term outlook, like you have to hit these numbers in the short term. Got it. That's not the investors we have or the board that we have, right? I, so I got, this, was, this gets back to my decision to, to kind of do a lot of this transaction on my own was I got to say, look, this deal's, you know, this deal's all but done. We've announced it publicly. Mm-hmm. Would you like to be part of it? Here's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Versus let's partner on the front end and figure out together how we want to do this deal when we announce it. Let's talk to the lawyers. Let's talk to the risk mitigation people. Like that wasn't part of this, right? This was, okay, we are basically, we've acquired CrossFit. We hadn't finished it yet, but we've basically acquired it. Here's what it looks like do you want to be part of it? So these people self-selected in on that. The other cool thing about the board is um, with 
all but one of the, all but two of the people on it, I have long-term relations. Mm-hmm. And when I say long-term, one of, one of our new board members was my roommate um, coming out of graduate school. And we lived together for three years. We we're in each other's weddings. And it, it, but this isn't a crony thing. He's a guy who's going to call me on my own BS, has been insanely successful, um, has really unique perspectives. Um, two of the other people I've known for 30 years, which is crazy. We started our careers together. One of them I was out of touch with for 15 years, and then we got back in touch. And he's one of the first people I told that I wanted to lead CrossFit one day, eight and a half years ago. So he's involved. Another one I hadn't talked to in 30 years since we had started our careers together. And so we have these longstanding relationships with a lot of these people. So there's a lot of trust built. And the the two that I have only gotten to know through this – seem absolutely amazing, but we're still getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. But they will, not, yeah, they will not be involved in leading the company. They'll be involved in this governance thing. We'll have quarterly board meetings. Um, I've already introduced them to the leadership team. So I had three of them came out last week to spend a day with us during a leadership team offsite, which was really, really cool. Because part of the thing with boards is they're, they can be like, people behind the curtain and who are these powerful people pulling strings that I don't understand. And is, is Rosa just this puppet for them? And they're, you know, they're making all these decisions and that that's not at all the way this is structured. Like these are people who I, I hand selected each one of them because I have deep trust in them and deep belief in how much value they can add. Um, and it's part of my notion around team building, you know, it's really cool. They're not my, they're not my boss. It's they have a different role than being a boss. You know, they're, they're there to help us, get, you know, send CrossFit in the right long-term direction, I guess. Does that help? Yeah. More as a guide. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, will you continue to have any communication with Greg or rely on his input at all moving forward? Um, you know, I would say we've, te- we've texted, I, I, who knows what the future holds. Um, I think Greg has a lot of, you know, obviously some incredible vision and um, a lot of things that have, you know, frankly, uh, conspired to change my life even before the last two months. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, I know what it's like to sell a company, right? Because I've done that and I've acquired other bills companies. And right now, I think the best thing is a bit of distance for Greg, for him, for his family. I did text with his, um, his wife um, a couple days ago and, um, and we had a really nice text exchange and I got to know her. She's, she's really sweet over the last few months. And I asked, how's, you know, how's the family doing? And she said, we're really happy. This is a really good thing. There was a tremendous amount of stress there. So I think everybody needs a, a time of healing. And then I think there'll be a time when we can, you know, re-engage more actively in some way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we have, I know, just a very short amount of time left, but I'm going to try to get through my three questions that I ask everyone. So the first is, what are the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health? I... I'm not going to use CrossFit as one. I'm going to do four. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, actually, no, I'll, I'll do it a different way. I'll say, I'll say working out in CrossFit is one and, and continuing to learn in the whole thing. Or, and you, you, as you know, from our discussions, you know, I walk out on a lot of stuff, right. At a level that maybe is uncommon, even for CrossFitters on the nutrition and broader health front. Um, so just continuous be a sponge of learning and experimentation and all that. Um, one that I don't do enough of, and I'm really trying to do more of it is, 
um, creating a, a kind of a sacred space for myself. And the time to do that very clearly is in the morning when I wake up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm really trying to get better and better at that. And, you know, whether it's, and I'm okay, like some days I might feel like meditating. Some days I might feel like journaling. Some days I just want to play the guitar. Um, some days I might just want to go for a walk in the sun. But I want this time alone when I'm, there's no stimulus. I haven't taken my, my phone off airplane mode. I'm not stressed to go to the gym or get my kids to school that second. So I need to, I, I, that sacred, sacred morning space, number one. Most important thing, I think, in my life to do that, frankly. Um, number, yeah, we'll put the whole workout thing and all that in there. And then number three um, is, the, is the connections with, with people I love, you know, just, and, and that, I don't believe in, um, I don't believe at all in, um, in work-life balance. I think that's a bullshit completely corrupt concept not to offend anybody but it is completely fixed pie thinking and so i i just believe work like work life integration is the way to do it i don't want to be able to i I don't want to be able to tell the difference between when i'm working and when i'm not working you know i can be skiing or crossfitting with somebody i do work with or going on a hike with them or or figuring out you know you know a tough problem over dinner or whatever so for me, it's yeah, just that being surrounded by people who energize with energizing relationships with people. I love that. Thing. What is one thing that you think would have a big impact on your health, but you are working on it or you haven't done a good job of implementing it yet? Um, well, I, I, you know, I, I would say I'm somebody who struggles with the meditation thing. So I think that's it. You know, brought, brought more broadly, this sacred space. Like when I can take an hour in the morning and have this open space with no work stuff and no agenda, really, yeah. um, it's amazing. And I don't even think I average once a week. So that's probably the thing I'd say. It's just this, not even meditation, just this broader, like, I'll, I'll like, I'll journal and I'll go, holy crap. I have a few journals sitting around, but I'll like pick, like I have this red one right now with me and I'll be, I'll look and I'll go, oh my gosh, like, this is, uh, you know, October, October uh, of 2019, and I've only done 20, 10 pages in here since then. And yeah, there are two other journals, but that doesn't bode very well. You know? <laughs> so I, th- I think more space for that, for that personal restoration, reflection, whatever you want to call it, how far. Last question is, what does a healthy life look like to you? I think it's one where you are... Um, where I'm in the moment, I think a lot about this combination of, um, and the difference between present being present and being in a flow state. And they are very, they're different. And I don't hear people talk about that a lot, but those are the two optimal states. So I want to spend my whole life kind of going, you know, between flow states where I'm totally lost in it and a presence one where I'm more, um, you know, a little bit more detached and observing in a dispassionate way. Like that would be an amazing way to live life. Um, and, but you know, that third kind of reactive kind of state is still looms pretty large in my overall mix right now. Oh yes. For all of us. For all. <laughs> well, thank you. This has been fantastic. It's been so great to get to know you better. And like I said, I think we're all very excited about the future of CrossFit and we're all behind you. So thank you. Thanks, Julie. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you. And I love, I love that you, this podcast you do. It's just really cool. <laughs> Thanks.
Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. I always like to recap my biggest takeaways after the interview. And I thought with this conversation, I would just touch on three of the qualities that clearly come through when Eric talks and when he acts that to me are the most impressive for him as a leader. So the first one was his ability to listen. And as we talked about, even before this deal was finalized, he was eager to dive in and listen to anyone and everyone within the community. He wanted to get to know the different stakeholders and understand what they've been through, where they're coming from, what their pain points and frustrations are, and why they love CrossFit so much. And this was also exemplified by the summit that he held in Boulder and that he plans to continue holding every quarter solely for the purpose of listening. Now, the second quality is vulnerability. I really loved how much of his own life and struggles Eric has been willing to share. During the town hall, I loved that he talked about some examples of situations that uncovered his own unconscious biases over the years, and he was willing to share those with the community. And I love some of the personal insights that he shared here as well. I think his willingness to be real and be vulnerable helps us as a community relate to him better as a person and as a leader. And then the third quality is his ability to embrace adversity. So it's clear that Eric loves a challenge and taking on the task of turning CrossFit around after what happened in June and during a global pandemic, which has all but devastated CrossFit's business, which is based primarily in in-person instruction. It's really clear that he has his work cut out for him. But talking with Eric about this, he really seems to love and thrive on that challenge. And it was great to hear him talking about planning for the worst case scenario with COVID next year, but not not necessarily losing sight of the longer term vision. So I hope you were also able to get to know Eric a little bit better from listening to our conversation. 